If you have a Bible, you can open to John's Gospel. We'll look at the first part, the first couple verses of chapter 1. This is the uh, beginning of a new series that um, we're starting, and I'm, I'm not sure if and when we'll ever finish it, because it's uh, John's Gospel. It's long. There's a lot to talk about. Um, I think the, the very beginning of it, the first chapter of the prologue especially, deserves um, extra attention. We might accelerate as we enter into the later chapters of the book, but uh, we'll see. I don't have it all planned out. So let me introduce um, John's gospel uh, in, in a, a way that I think is probably the most important way. I sent an email this week, and I wrote a little blog post on the website, uh, resources for John's gospel. You can go there. You can see what kind of commentaries you might um, benefit from if you're going to study along uh, in your own personal study. Um, they all have their introductory sections. Um, I try to provide some introduction, like, you know, in chapter 20, uh, John talks about how uh, he wrote this gospel in order to um, convince us, to persuade us that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And that's everybody's great summary verse for uh, John's gospel, and it really is a good, kind of a purpose statement for why he wrote the book. Uh, I think maybe a more important way to introduce John is that in his gospel, he identifies himself three times, not by name, but as the one whom Jesus loved. He says about himself, this is the way he identifies himself, is I'm the one Jesus loved. He's, as part of the story, he says, then the one Jesus loved said this or that. The one Jesus loved was reclining at table with Jesus when Jesus did this or that. He's talking about himself. Maybe that seems like a strange way to refer to yourself, uh, not by your own name, right? not by your own identity, really, but uh, referring to yourself with, with regard to the relationship that you have with somebody else. Uh, Cheryl was saying um, the other day that, uh, that she's known as Ezra's mom at the coffee shop where he works. She walks into the coffee shop. They know her name, but they call her Ezra's mom, right? Um, and Growing up, I was always a bit resentful that I was Nick's brother, you know? He's famous, yeah, but um, nobody knew me just as Nick's brother, right? I, I'm, I'm Nick's brother. I, I was a bit resentful of that until I learned that that probably benefited me because I could, you know, ride his coattails to glory or whatever. So, um, but we really do have our identities through our relationships, through our relationships with other people, and the chief relationship that defines us in the church is our relationship with Jesus, right? So, um, so we say, this, this is what defines us as Christians, not who I am in and of myself, but the fact that I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. Or better yet, as John puts it, he loves me. He loves me. I'm the one that's loved by Jesus. Um, and we agree wholeheartedly when John says that he's the one whom Jesus loved. Jesus loved John indeed. Jesus loved John by making himself known to him. Jesus made himself known to John, and that's what, that's what it means for Jesus to love him. And the whole world has been changed through that revelation, the revelation of, of Jesus to John. The whole world has been changed through that. If someone wants to read the Bible for the first time, what do you say? You say, read the Gospel of John. Start with the Gospel of John. Right? And then they're hooked. Uh, it's the favorite book of many Christians, and pastors and theologians have turned to it for 2,000 years to help the church mature in her understanding of, of life with God, who God is, what kind of God he is, what it means to live with him. 
So immeasurable impact was made because Jesus loved John. And he made himself known to him. And the one who reads the gospel that John wrote, John provided us with this gospel about the good news about Jesus Christ, the one who reads John, John's gospel can say the same thing. I'm one who is loved by Jesus, by God himself, because here God is revealing himself to us in the person of his son for our life with him. That's what John's gospel is about. So we're going to take a few weeks to look at the introduction, the prologue, the, the summary of John's good news about Jesus. Uh, this morning, we're just going to look at five verses, and we're probably not going to plumb all the depths of those five verses, but uh, we're just going to find out what it means. It, it, the fact that Jesus is God, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is God, what kind of God he reveals to us, and uh, just a little bit, kind of scratch the surface of what kind of difference that makes in our lives. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, you have given us your word and you have sent your spirit forth into the world and we pray for his help now as we consider your word so that we would truly meet you there and be changed by that encounter. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So this this prologue, is um, arguably one of the most incredible things ever written. Augustine, uh, one of the early church fathers, records the suggestion that it be written in gold and put in a conspicuous, honorable place in every church. That this prologue, uh, we're just starting, you know, the first few verses of it, but the, the beginning of John's gospel here should be written in gold and put in a conspicuous place in every church. Frederick Bruner is a commentator on, um, on John's gospel, and he says this. This is a quote that's at the beginning of the bulletin also. Um, he says that one feels on holy ground when entering the prologue to the gospel of John. Here we have the overture to the symphony of the whole gospel, the preface to the greatest story ever told, the introduction to history's central fact, the foreword to the last word, and the preamble to the realities most trusted by the worldwide church. It's pretty important, these uh, few verses that stand at the beginning of John's gospel. John's writing is profound here, but it's elegant, right? uh, It's beautifully simple. It's very easy. I mean, if you're going to learn Greek, beginners should always start with John's gospel because he uses really easy words. Uh, that doesn't mean he's not talking about very profound things, right? It's, it's elegant. In very simple language, he's giving us here, especially in these verses, he's giving us the building blocks for the doctrine of the Trinity. And it's because of teachings like we find here, other places also in the New Testament, but um, this is one of the main places, it's because of teachings like this that the church actually had to come up with new language to give expression 
to the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. Um, the early church had to come up with new terms. The Bible teaches that there is uh, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each one, each person is equally divine. Each one is fully God, yet there's only one God. The Bible teaches that, but the Bible doesn't use all of that language because it didn't exist yet. Um, one God in three persons, as simple as that sounds, is something that the church had to come up with to figure out how to articulate what it is that we believe, what it is that the Bible teaches, what it is that Jesus in the gospel reveals about God and about himself. So, in, in fact, the church pretty much coined the term person. Before, before the theological debates of the first centuries of the church, there really wasn't a good word for person. Uh, and they, they coined that word in an attempt to describe how Jesus... The Son of God, here called the Word, uh, how he was distinct from the Father. He's distinct as a person, right? They had to come up with that kind of language to describe how he was distinct from the Father, yet uh, there's, there's only one being of God. Right? One being, three persons. So John uh, delivers what, uh, I mean, it took centuries of debate and probably bloodshed, unfortunately, uh, that's, that's characterized the history of the church. It's like, well, we have disagreements just like everyone else, and we're willing to kill each other for it. Um, uh, very complicated theological debates. John delivers the substance of it here in a few short verses with very simple language. The, the Trinitarian doctrine in the most succinct language, making assertions that to, to us now are the basics, right? They're the fundamentals of our faith. Still difficult to grasp. We still got to talk about it and think about it all the time, but, um, but nevertheless, these are the basics for Christians, right? So John, here in our verses, makes the pretty audacious claim to actually know what was before the beginning. It's, when you think about it, it's a pretty audacious claim to make. He, he's going to tell us what was happening before the universe was created. Um, but don't worry, he's not making it up as he goes, he's just relaying what he heard from Jesus all the time, <laughs> right? Uh, who He was always talking about being equal to God. Jesus was always talking about being equal to God, that's why they hated him, that's why they killed him. It's incredibly important that John would start here at the beginning, like he does in this first verse, and in fact, he's starting before the beginning of all things, uh, really. It, it's very important, and this is why. The philosopher uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, and this is another quote, it's the beginning of the bulletin, he intuited, I'm not sure how, how good his philosophy, how well it aligned with Christianity when he said this, um, but he intuited the fact that the solution to the riddle of life, the solution to the riddle of life in space and time lies outside space and time. All right, so maybe we can put that uh, better this way. The solution to the riddle of life, or how about the meaning of life? The meaning of life, the meaning of creation, lies outside creation. The meaning of creation, the significance of it, if you're going to know anything about what it's for, 
you're going to have to go outside to find the answer to that. If you want to know what life is for, then you have to ask the one who gave it to us. You have to ask the one who gave it to us. If you want to know anything at all in the created world as it's meant to be, then you need to know the creator and what he meant by creating it. So you've got to get back to the beginning or before the beginning and find out what God was like. Don't you? I mean, you've got to go back to when there was nothing but God and you've got to ask, what is God like? And what's going on in his mind? Why did he do this whole thing? What was he doing? What did he intend? And and John tells us in his elegant way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So you should all go home this week. This is your homework. um, And read the whole of John's Gospel. Because this prologue really is a summary that, I mean, you can understand it better after you've read the whole thing, right? You read the whole gospel, and then you come back to this prologue, and it's all starting to make sense now, right? It's unmistakably clear that, that when John is talking about the Word, and he says that the, in the beginning was the Word, he's talking about Jesus Christ. Right? That, that might escape your notice unless you know who John is talking about in the whole gospel, right? He's talking about Jesus, and he says, in the beginning... Language that uh, shows up in Genesis chapter 1 at the beginning of the scriptures, in the beginning God created. John adopts that language and he says, in the beginning was the word. And he is talking about Jesus, he's talking about him before the incarnation, which we know to have happened about 2,000 years ago, kind of smack dab in the middle of history, right? Not at the beginning. But, uh, but that the Son of God came into the world and took on human flesh, and he talks about that more in the rest of the prologue. He took on human flesh. He became also a human being. He didn't give up his divinity. He took humanity to himself. Uh, the uncreated one took on a created nature, right? That happened at a particular moment in history. Before that, this one was preexistent. This one was, he wasn't a human yet, but he was the Son of God. He was uh, the Word of God. John calls him here. So he was the eternal son of God before he became a man, and that's who he's talking about when he says that in the beginning was the word. The one who's come into the world and made himself known to us as Jesus, this one is the word who was in the beginning with God. Just as, and this language here is very personal language uh, without using the word person because it hadn't really come up yet in history, He's with God just as one person is with another person in a close, intimate relationship. Right? That the language really is being used that way. Um, and this word not only was with God that way, this word was God. So, and he still is God. We're not just talking past tense here. He still is God. <clears throat> but the point that John is making is that before anything else existed at all, the Word was with God and the Word was God. So in one sense, a companion to God, and in another sense, identical with God. Companion and identical. And that's a big deal. That's 
doctrine of the Trinity, blow your mind, theology kind of stuff. But it's a big deal because John is not only saying that Jesus is divine with that, um, he's saying what God is like. He's telling us what God is like in these simple few words at the beginning of the gospel. He's telling us what God is like, what he is in and of himself before creation. He's God with. He's God in relation. So at the heart of reality, before all things, God loves as a father loves a son. And that language appears a lot more throughout the gospel of John. Jesus talks about it a lot uh, later. The father loves the son, and the son loves the father before there was anything else. So this is at the heart of all reality, is this God who is a God with. This is the God who created all things, not some cold, monolithic being, not, not an erratic jumble of warring, vain super beings, the God who stands behind everything is, is personal and intimate. He's a God with. He's tripersonal, as we discover in the New Testament. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in fact, very specifically, what John is talking about here is that the second person of the Trinity, the Word, the Son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity is the one through whom all things were created. Right? It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's a very thorough way of saying it. Right? You need to let that sink in. He made everything. If anything was made, it was made through him. Right? This means that the Jesus that we know from the Gospels, especially from John's Gospel, again, I read the whole Gospel and then come back to this, and it makes more beautiful sense. The Jesus that we know from the Gospels has, so to speak, had his hands on absolutely everything from the beginning. He's had his hands on everything. This God, this one, this Jesus, this one that Jesus reveals to us in the Gospel, this God, this Father, Son, Spirit God, this one who loves before all things, the God who is with is the one who created absolutely everything through the power of his word. There are some pretty obvious connections, again, these echoes of uh, Genesis 1 here, and really throughout John's gospel. Genesis 1 starts out, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering uh, like a bird over the face of the waters, and God said, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And then the whole rest of Genesis 1, whenever God said anything, it happened. It's the word of his power. Jesus is identified with this powerful, creative word, right? Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and that's the one through whom, this word is the one through whom everything was made. And knowing that this God, the one who's revealed by Jesus Christ, knowing that he's the one not some other God, but this very specific one, knowing that this one is the one who's behind the creation of all things, helps us to know the solution to the riddle of life in space and time. 
helps us to know the meaning of life, what this is all about, right? Um, I wanted to read a bit of a quote here from Robert Capon. It's a bit of a fantastic picture, an analogy that we have, but bear with me. Um, Hopefully it doesn't offend you. It shouldn't offend you. (laughs) Robert Capon says, let me tell you why God made the world. One afternoon before anything was made, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit sat around in the unity of their Godhead, discussing one of the Father's fixations. From all eternity, it seems he had had this thing about being. He would keep thinking up all kinds of unnecessary things, new ways of being, and new kinds of beings to be. And as they talked, God the Son suddenly said, Really, this is absolutely great stuff. Why don't I go out and mix us up a batch? And God the Holy Spirit said, terrific, I'll help you. So they all pitched in, and after supper that night, the Son and the Holy Spirit put on this tremendous show of being for the Father. It was full of water and light and frogs. Pine cones kept dropping all over the place, and crazy fish swam around in the wine glasses. There were mushrooms and mastodons, grapes and geese, tornadoes and tigers, and men and women everywhere to taste them to juggle them, to join them, and to love them. And God the Father looked at the whole wild party and said, Wonderful! Just what I had in mind. Tov, 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 which is Hebrew for good, right? Like when God made the world, he looked at everything and he said, It was good. And all God the Son and God the Holy Spirit could think of to say was the same thing. Tov, tov, tov. So they shouted together, Tov meod. Very good. And they laughed for ages and ages, saying things like how great it was for beings to be, and how clever of the Father to think of the idea, and how kind of the Son to go to all that trouble putting it together, and how considerate of the Spirit to spend so much time directing and choreographing. Choreographing? And forever and ever they told old jokes, and the Father and the Son drank their wine in the unity of the Holy Spirit, and they all threw ripe olives and pickled mushrooms at each other forever and ever, amen. It is, this is still caping here, it is, I grant you, a crass analogy. But crass analogies are the safest. Everybody knows that God is not three old men throwing olives at each other. Not everyone, I'm afraid, is equally clear that God is not a cosmic force or a principle of being or any other dish of celestial blanc mange that we might choose to call him. Accordingly, I give you the central truth, the central truth, that creation is the result of a Trinitarian bash. And leave the details of the analogy to sort themselves out as best they can. Creation is the result of a Trinitarian bash. It's the one, the one God, the Father and the Son, who delighted in each other and in the Holy Spirit. So the God behind all things in the world, the God behind all things is not a nameless, faceless, impersonal being. The God behind all things is the triune God of love and joy who has loved us by revealing himself to us so that we wouldn't be left in the dark. He's shown the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. He's loved us by revealing himself to us. So when we look at Jesus, this is the point of John's gospel, when we look at Jesus, we know what God is like. 
and we know the point of everything. We know the point of everything, the heart of all reality, the center of life. That's why John talks about Jesus here as the Word. He could have called him a lot of other things, that he, you know, a lot of other titles that John could have used. He uses the, the, the word, the logos is the Greek word. It's a word that has lots of meanings, and people debate whether this meaning or that is the best one. But I think the word is a good translation. He's the self-expression of God. He's the revelation of God. He's the, he's the expression of the God whose very nature is to express himself. He's the revelation of God, the speech of God telling, what, telling us what everything is all about. Uh, John Calvin would have translated um, this word, the word, as the sermon, the speech. In the beginning was the sermon. The self-revelation of God that tells us what everything is about. From the beginning, God's own life has consisted in his speaking. From before the beginning. This is what God is like. His life consists in his speaking. His life has been in his son, it says in our text. And he, he's poured out his own life into creation. He's animated creation with his own life. From the beginning, the works of God's hands have declared his nature. They've been an expression of who he is. They tell us the glory of who he is, the majesty of his attributes. From the beginning, God has spoken and things have had their being. From the beginning, God has spoken into the dark and there has been light. From the beginning. And this is what kind of God Jesus reveals to us. And it's a good word. It's good news. It can put your fears to rest. Because this is what Jesus reveals us, uh, to us about God, that he's good and he's loving beyond our comprehension. You can't put all of God's goodness and love in a box that just fits in your worldview. None of us can. It's beyond our comprehension, but he is good and he is loving. Jesus surprises us all the time through the gospel, surprises us with his grace, and he heartens us with his power. And because he's God, we know that his grace and his power are really real. There's nothing realer. Right? That's why it's so important. That's why it is incredibly important to, to take this passage and to hold on to it and refute the heretics and the cults who would twist the scriptures and undermine Jesus' divinity. That's Kind of one of your major problems throughout the history of the church is people undermining Jesus' full divinity. He's, he's not really God. He's kind of like halfway God. He's a really great man, right? Um, we've got to stand firm against that, not just so that we can be right and win arguments, right? but so that we can continue to be assured that we actually know what God is like, the one who's behind all things. There's nothing behind him. There's nothing back of Jesus. That's what this means. If Jesus really is God, the eternal God, then there's nothing back of him. There's nothing deeper than him. There's no secret, obscure motions of divinity hidden behind him. When you look at Jesus, you can trust that you are looking into the heart of all reality at the significance and meaning and purpose and goal of everything. 
because you're looking at very God of very God. He's the word. He's the good word. He's the true word. He's the sure word. He's the first and the final word. And the the only way you can come to believe that, uh, the only way the gospel will come to make a difference in your life is by spending time with him. Actually reorienting your life on him. Recentering on him. Like everything's supposed to be. Right? Paying attention to Jesus. Getting to know this word of God. People resist generally believing things that they're not already predisposed toward. You see that a lot with the political stuff going on, right? People get into big debates. It's not really to change each other's minds. Everybody knows. Nobody's going to change their minds. We're just digging our heels in and fortifying our positions and, you know, bolstering our own side of an argument. No one's really open to considering a new position to counter their own. That is especially true with Jesus, that we are like that with Jesus. There are people in the world who insist, for example, that religion be kept private. Don't even talk to me about it. Don't let it, don't let it uh, permeate out into the, the public sphere of debates. I don't want to hear about religion. Keep it private. It must be private. private. Because they don't want to hear the gospel. For some reason, we're deadlocked into believing that God doesn't really want us to know what he's like. He must not want us really to know him. Probably because he's bad or something. Those are the suspicions that we have that we hold for dear life. But John insists that it is actually God's very nature to reveal himself. Before the beginning, he's the one who spoke the word about himself. That's who he is. He's done so in his word in Jesus, and this has been for the life and the good of the world. He's not hiding himself. He has revealed himself. Um, I'm reading a book by George MacDonald called The Back of the North Wind, and one of the observations he makes is that the most wonderful thing in the world is how people come to understand anything. It's, it's a miracle that we would understand anything, especially about God. Because we're just opposed to understanding God. Only the Holy Spirit can help you grab hold of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God and that he reveals God to us, really. Only the Holy Spirit can help you with that. That's what Jesus talks about throughout the gospel of John. Um, So you really need to pray that he does that. This is the Spirit's work. When he does that. Uh, He makes you to know that God shows himself to be the kind of God who fixes broken people. Hurting, suffering, sick, blind, lame, broken relationally, socially. He fixes those kind of people. That's what kind of God he is. We see that in Jesus, clear as day in the Gospels. God is the kind of God who frees people from demonic bondage. He's the kind of God who teaches people about his mercy even though they're predisposed against it. He teaches about his mercy all the time. He's the kind of God who makes dead people to live again. He's the kind of God who makes fearful doubters into bold believers. This is the kind of God Jesus reveals to us. He's the kind of God who forgives sin by drinking the cup of our ruin himself. He's the kind of God who brings rebellious people into his family 
loving them, accepting them, never leaving or forsaking them. That's what kind of God Jesus shows us. This is the word of God. And this good word revives us and attracts us and renews us and lifts us and compels us. The word, Jesus himself, is the center of the church's reality. He's the center of all reality, really. But here, at least, we've made it explicitly the center, right? Um, he's the one that shapes everything we do. He motivates what we do. He empowers what we do in all of our lives and our worship and our work and relationships. Uh, Christianity, just so it's clear, Christianity is not primarily about Christians or the church fixing anything. Right? It's not about us cleaning up our lives. Uh, it's not primarily about us helping other people, fixing what's broken in the world. It's not about us doing that. Right? Christianity is not about us. It's about coming to know life with God in and through Jesus Christ, who reveals God to us for our relationship with him. Right? That's what Christianity is about. So, um, you should put your faith in him and enter that life together with us. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you are, uh, we would say, too good to us. In some ways, um, we, we suspect that all of this about the gospel is too good to be true, and yet um, you're actually too good not to be true. You're, uh, you are true. You stand before all things as the one who... Um, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the loving, blessed communion in the Trinity is uh, the first and last word about all of reality. And even though we've uh, walked away from you in so many different ways in each of our lives, every single person in the history of the world has walked away from you and wanted to have nothing to do with you, yet you've come after us, you've chased us down, you've revealed yourself to us in a way that makes us new and frees us and... Um, and welcomes us into a life with you that is everlasting, all by your grace. And we pray that you would make that um, more and more real to us. <clears throat> we pray that you would keep Jesus in front of all of us, that you would awaken our faith through the Holy Spirit as we consider who Jesus is, uh, all the things that he's done, all the things that are recorded of him in the Gospels. Um, we pray that you would assure us of your own reality as we see you in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.